welcome back to For Fin Tech Sake, folks. I'm Zach Anderson Pettit, U.S. Content Director at Money 2020 and your unqualified host. We've got the one and the only Rishi Khanna, CEO at StockTwits, on the show today. StockTwits, if you haven't heard of it, is a social media platform designed for the world of, that's right, stonks. Or stocks, I guess, but I prefer stonks. Or the world of trading and investing in general, but specifically stonks. Think a social media platform that revolved completely around finance and investing. Rishi's always a blast to spend time with, and he always expands my thinking and my smile. The man is just fun. We cover a lot of ground. If you want to jump to a specific piece of the conversation, take a gander at the show notes. We've recently started breaking down the show by topic in the notes so you can hop into specific subjects if you're just dying to get there. This episode is supported by our friends at NeuroID. You'll hear more about them later, but go to neuroid.com, hit those show notes, or just stay tuned to learn more. And now, my conversation with Rishi. All right, big dog. Now that that has been done, now that we have achieved finding out what you had for breakfast... (laughs) It's the important things in life. And the listeners will never know. That's the best part. I always open with that question and then they never get to find out what it actually is. <laughs> One day that'll be like the, yeah. you know, like the blooper reel. Yeah. Well, no, it's actually the I breakfast have, reel. I have insights into the breakfast habits of some of the most successful people in finance is the thing. And I'm not allowing the rest of the world to know that. So can you share like what's the weirdest breakfast you've heard? You don't have to share the name of who it was. But what's the weirdest breakfast? Baby blood was up there, but I won't share the <laughs> regulator that that would. No, I'm just kidding. You had Elon on? That's crazy. <laughs> you know he does. You know he f- intermittent fasts. You know he doesn't eat breakfast. Come on now, Rishi. Sorry, sorry. What are we talking about? Does blood here? count? It's like tea. It's, a- <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly it's afternoon tea. It's just babies. And this is kind of where I thought we were going to start. <laughs> As everyone would. Indeed, indeed. Welcome, welcome to the show. Welcome to the office. It's good to have you here. Thank you, man. Excited to be here. Thanks for having yeah. me. We're like in person, live. I know. Yeah. As we were kind of planning this, I was like, is there any fucking way we can do this in person? Because it's Rishi. And if we do this in person, it's going to be a lot more fun than like, hey, tell me about your fintech opinion on Zoom. By the way, you know, my office is nine blocks away. Yeah, but I don't live here, though. Fair. Good point. That's the thing is making yeah. it happen in a way. And I actually, I guess now that I think about it, I could have just come to you. Um, but yeah, making it happen at a time when I'm actually here is, yeah, yeah that's oh, the, the stretch. Right. But anyways, we did it. Here we are. Here we are. And I have to start with the question that I've had for you that I've never been able to ask you because Ooh. every time we get on the phone, it's like we're trying to achieve something or we're trying to get you on stage okay. or trying to talk about Money 2020 things. Just tell me your story. That's it was groundbreaking, right? Okay. That's it. Just take me all the way back. You really had me on pins and needles, and I'm like, what's so he gonna ask? It's just not <laughs> fucking shit. And then I was just like, eh, take me back to your youth. Tell me uh, about your childhood. What's my I, story? Yeah. Um, what, what drives you? You know, where were you born? All that kind of like to the point where I'm taking my shirt off right now. My, all the good stuff. Shirt, just, yeah, I'm guys, getting, it's about to get weird here. It's I'm getting get excited, weird. folks. Uh, getting excited. What's my story? Well, so I'm uh, born and raised. I'm from Rochester, New York. My parents from India immigrated to Rochester. My dad, you know, came for grad school. And so, but I was born, raised in a town called Fairport. Okay. Grew up there, you know, uh, very kind of standard, like super suburban, 
middle-class America kind of vibes, right? Like went to the Applebee's like you yeah. know, in high school. That was the hangout in the parking lot there and this and that kind of thing. And then uh, ended up going to Cornell for college. So not too far, moved about, you know, an hour and a half south east of Rochester. Yeah. And, and then after graduating from there, I ended up in New York City and I've been here ever since for 23 years now. So I moved okay. here in 99. My follow-up was going to be like, how did you manifest yourself as such a fucking New Yorker? Because you are truly like one of the most <laughs> New Yorkian New Yorkers that I spend time with. And it sounds like you just answered it, which is you've stayed here for 23 years of your adult life. Yeah, I think it's a, a there's a couple of things there. First of all, I feel like I want a t-shirt now that says New Yorkian. Yeah. Um, fuck New York of New York or nowhere. Yeah, I got like, those. Yeah. But I feel like I can get a, get a lower price point with New Yorkian. Like yeah. I'm just saying. Uh, yeah. I'm going to do that. New Yorkian. Is Kevorkian, was he a New Yorkian? Anyways, I don't know. <laughs> we carry on. Um, yeah. So, you know, I moved here to start my first company. Well, so my partner, uh, my one of my first uh, co-founders for my first startup uh, was from Manhattan, born and raised here. And we met at Cornell. So came down here. Funny story was I had actually accepted a job in Boston. So I'm an engineer by background. I was a CS and W major at Cornell. I had accepted a job in Boston and, you know, but before starting a job was working on this startup and it was in the music and entertainment space and, you know, came to New York, fell in love, you know, pretty much in the first week. And we were fortunate to raise some money. So the night I, before I was supposed to start at that job in Boston, I want to say it was like June 20 something in, uh, you know, 1999, I literally called up the CEO and like quit before starting. I'm like, guys, I got to chase this. Da, da, da. Fun fact, that CEO now lives in my neighborhood in New York City. And we bumped into each other at a random like tech event. Um, <laughs> he lives like nine blocks away from me. Super hilarious. But yeah, and like, you know, so when I moved here, I also had the unique experience that my co-founder and then my other co-founder were all born and raised in Manhattan. Like, uh. and, and then, you know, I didn't really have a lot of other friends in New York. So my friends like, you know, that initial network was all their friends, which are all like private school Manhattan kids. Yeah. Turns out that's a very, you know, New York crew. And, um, very. <laughs> you know, I fell further in love and like, you know, I got to, you know, experience things from that one perspective. And then, you know, my friends that I hung out, you know, there were some friends from high school that were in New York. So we hung out other friends from like other walks of life and stuff. But yeah, like, you know, you, you kind of keep doing it for 23, 24 years and, you know, my, my wife's been here not quite as long, but like 21 years, I think, as well, 22, yeah. whatever. And yeah, it's just like, where else would I live? Like, I'd have to move, like, it'd have to be like Tokyo or like, I don't know, London or something. Uh, but run, Whitefish, Montana is not going to cut it. Is no, what I mean, me? I'm sure it's a great place to visit. Uh, but, it's so you know. <laughs> funny because everybody that lives in Whitefish, Montana would say, I'm sure great. I'm sure New York is a great place to visit. And I will like, listen, there's a place for everybody <laughs> and not New York is not for everyone. Just like starting a startup is not for right. everyone, contrary to popular belief. Do you think the culture of New York slash the speed of it has, I mean, made a difference in terms of you? Like, have you always been kind of the, because you were a quick moving, quick talking, quick thinking individual. Has that always been true? Even back to Rochester, which yeah, is yeah. in New York, which is hilarious that we're like making this distinction. But in Oh, it's a very different. But it is a very strong distinction. Yeah. I mean, being from Kansas City, if yeah. you tell me you're from Rochester, New York, unless I would have spent time here, I'd be like, oh. Okay, but he's still a New Yorker. Yeah. Right. And then you spend time here and you're like, that's not the perception. Yeah. Out. Like, so just to give you, I mean, like, Rochester is much more the Midwest than it is 
you know, New York City. Like, right. we're, you know, I, I'm a big Buffalo Bills fan. We don't have to talk about that. But, you know, I grew up like, you know, Buffalo's an hour away. Cleveland's like, you know, not that far. Like, you know, so it is much more like the Midwest. I'd probably argue Rochester is more like Kansas City than New York City than it is like New York City. Right? I think that's a very good argument. But um, for most people, when you have New York on the end, they're like, oh, yeah, one of those. hundred percent. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and by the way, it's true to the people that grew up in New York City. When I first moved here, that, you know, group of, you know, friends that were from Manhattan, they'd be like, where are you from? And I'd be like, upstate. They're like, oh, Westchester. It's like, uh, no. And they're like, Poughkeepsie? And I was like, no, <laughs> no, Rochester? They're like, where? And I was like, by Buffalo. They're like, oh. Yeah. And like, you know, so it is, you know, it's just a matter of perspective, right? So now, then I started saying I'm from Western New York or I'm from Rochester specifically. Yeah, just skip um, the skip. The and I literally have to just say Buffalo and then everyone's like, oh, that's far, um, which it is. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, three, 150 like miles far, like your grandma died like oh <laughs> i'm sorry that's far um, but yeah to your you know earlier question around the speed i've always I, you know i think i've always been the, this way like i just like to you know kind of move you know move fast is maybe the best way to characterize it but yeah like i just love like kind of if i find something i love and i want to get into it let's get into it right and you know i'm a fast talker i've been that way before moving to new york city that's what I was I'm, a, I'm a faster yeah. walker now probably but i don't know that you know the mall walk of the suburbs is the same as the new york city walk uh, no i think that that is a very real thing i mean every time i get back to kansas city and i'm driving again i actually find myself just like fucking honking at people yeah. with abandon and i just <laughs> I, I get home driving home from the airport or something like that and i'm like good lord i'm gonna break my horn but it felt so normal but i pissed off the entire city you know it's just yeah. like the the Oh, the I, distinction like, is so strong. Like you never, like, we never used the horn unless we were, like, in a parking lot just making noise, but you never used the horn driving. For a reason. Right? Unless like, someone, like, fell asleep at the wheel. Like, they haven't moved. Right. They're looking at their like, phone. But crazy yeah, shit. Right? Here it's just like, hey, can you give me a little more space? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And in Kansas City, they're, they they want to fight you um, <laughs> for a little more space, you know? And Yeah, no, it's totally true. Also, just driving culture. Like, I don't know how, you know, for you, I grew up, like, cars were a thing oh, i yeah, wanted yeah, to same, drive right like i same. knew what car i wanted yeah. like in high school was like 911 you know turbo all black hard top you know yeah. eight ball stick shift right kind of thing and now i could care like i'm just like give oh man i fuck. have to drive like, <laughs> man this that sucks. looks like a comfy uber though right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's just you know fascinating like kind of yeah. how things evolve like, i wonder like about my kids who are growing up in manhattan right like I don't know, are they going to yeah. care about cars or driving? Or are we going to, you know, are we all going to be self-driving cars by then? Who knows? Oh, that's a whole different, yeah. yeah. I mean, God only knows. So we're going to be self-driving humans by that point. <laughs> what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? I remember there were, you know, like growing up, right? You have those exercises where the teachers ask yeah, you like, hey, right, what right, do you want right. to do? Yeah. I remember one time, I don't remember when it was exactly. Like it was probably like eighth grade, ninth grade or something like that. And I was like, I want to be, I want to play on the Bulls. A big Michael Jordan fan growing up. So I'm yep. like, I want to play on the Bulls. Sure. Like, you know, so like, far, reasonable goals. Right. 5 2 Rishi, yeah, 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 right? Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. skinny little Rishi. And, um, I mean, you look like you got a vertical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then I, you know, I, I'm like, and then I want to be a CEO of a Fortune 50 company, which was a fascinating thing to say as an eighth, ninth grader. But like, I've always been. I love that you chose minded. Fortune 50 too. Like, yeah, the homie well, swung for the fences, not even like, fuck the 500. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, fuck the 1000. <laughs> I think I was thinking GE at the time, right? I don't remember why exactly, but I do remember that moment. I remember writing it down. Wow. So, like, I've always been entrepreneurial in some way. And I've, like, you know, I love, you know, 
I love, you know, I did little businesses in high school and stuff. Yeah. I actually started a web design company in like high school because, you know, yeah. like that was the early 90s. And, and then I, you studied you know, computer science. So that, that yeah. trend continued. Yeah, though it, there was a break. Like I originally actually went to college to be a biomedical engineer. That was my thesis. Like, I okay. I was going to biomedical engineering. If not the bulls, then. Turns out I hate biology. <laughs> um, kind of a core requisite for, for being a biomedical engineer. You know, it was just like a lot of like memorization, rote memorization. And, you know, for me, engineering, oh. computer science, electrical engineering, like, you know, it's like problem, problem solving. solving. And I yeah. love problem solving. That's why I love business problem solving. Right. Too, right. So, um, so, you know, I think like that has stayed with me. But yeah, I remember I want, you know, like literally I remember writing down being, you know, play on the bulls and then go be the CEO of a Fortune 50 company. So I don't know why that, that was a thing. As you like were studying, I mean, did that kind of like dissipate and fade as you were getting into college and starting to study computer science and whatnot? Or I mean, I know you had your, your sidetrack of biology, but yeah. as you were studying that, were you still thinking like, well, it's either, you know, pro sports or, you know, was those, definitely <laughs> still thinking the Bulls thing was a shot. No, obviously, um, I don't think I would No, at that point. Again, I can't, you know, I was in college during the dot com boom, right? Early days. And okay. so. You know, when I was at Cornell, we had a oh, company. Yeah, you graduated in what, like 99? So I graduated right college at, in 99. So yeah. 95, 99, I was, yeah. you know, at Cornell. And uh, if you guys, I don't know if you recall, there was a company called theglobe.com. I don't know that one. So theglobe.com, I don't know if it's still the highest single day IPO gain ever. Whoa. It was started at Cornell. It was, you know, its headquarters were, you know, down the street from my apartment. Okay. Um, I worked out of their offices for one other company that was there. And like, it, I think it went public in 97, I want to say. And it went from, I, I believe its IPO price was $9 and it closed at like $99 on day one, right? Well, I mean, it since went bankrupt and all that stuff. Well, I didn't like, expect it to like persevere. But like, that but was I a like big thing, right? Yeah. And that was like an influential thing. And so, you know, half, you know, I think probably starting sophomore year into junior year, like, me and my roommate, I had one roommate kind of all through college. You know, we were always coming up with ideas and, you know, some people would yeah. come in and out. So we, you know, we, we tried interesting things and, you know, I'm happy to, there's some fun stories of like where four or five years later, or in some cases, like 10 years later, we called back and said, oh shit, what's this Facebook thing? Like, you know, kind of thing. But yeah, so that, you know. Were there of, any I'm, like good embarrassing ones that are coming to mind? No, like it's mostly like, you know, if you're too early, you're still not, you know, successful. Uh, yeah. So we, you started like the, the... We started something called Campus Spot. Okay. The, the Campus version Spot, of Facebook. Which was essentially like, you know, a little, pretty much it. Like we had the yeah. marketplace of all the businesses yeah, on yeah, there. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, and, and Cornell's a big Greek system. So that was what kind of uh, drove us to do it. Because it's actually the second, it was the second biggest Greek system. I don't know what it is now, but oh, okay. surprisingly so, right? You wouldn't guess that. University of Illinois was number one. That makes sense. And so we're like, oh, well, how do you connect, you know, and like, you know, friends and like, that? like right. know, let's build a website for that. And Campus Spot did not work out. I think I still have business cards <laughs> that I saved in some box somewhere. But yeah, like that entrepreneurialness stayed with me. And I remember one of the friends that was working on it, Matt called, and he lives in San Francisco, I think now, but he called, you know, two years after like Facebook started a year. And he's like, dude dude uh, and i was like yeah you know <laughs> if you're not early i mean if you're too early you're still late or whatever yeah. you know however it goes yeah like that that kind of stuck through and i you know been an entrepreneur pretty much since so how did finance sneak its way into your life we got the technology yeah. of the fintech now where did the where did the fin come from yeah so you know growing up like i was always into the markets you, you know my dad had a portfolio i remember in the 80s growing up like one of the things i would do is Every day I'd come home from school, you know, at some age, and I would take the prices out of the newspaper, right? Because 
you know, that's where you got yeah. the prices from. Yeah. And I would chart it in like a graph, you know, notebook for my dad, like to, you know, I, I was like his, you know, mint.com before, you know, there was mint.com. And, you know, it was just kind of fun. It was fun for me and like yeah. looking through and like, I'd be trying, you know, new 52 week highs, new 52 week low, like, you know, scanning that small So were you print. like running in the other room? Like, dad, it had a new 52 week high. Yeah, you I, won't believe it. I, I would like, you know, I would definitely like, you know, be on top of it. Like my dad is very like, concerned. He was like blue chip stocks, right? Like, you know, AT&T yeah. and stuff like so that. So you're just like pitching your dad um, new stocks kind of thing at this point? Every now and then yeah? I'd be like, hey, like, what's this? Uh, <laughs> and my dad worked for Xerox for a large part of his career in Rochester, right? Okay. So like he had Xerox stock and Xerox. Yeah, yeah. Once no wonder company. he like the blue chip then that makes um, sense yeah like yeah. you know ibm at t yeah. xerox like literally I, those that was like the portfolio and stuff things like that yeah so like you know that kind of you know exposed me to it. in college again dot com days you know i was you know i had my e-trade account and stuff and you know i was partaking there not you know any big money but like you know it was interesting but that's like you know from a professional perspective i never thought of it that way and so after my first startup I ended up, you know, once we that shut down dot com, ended up getting a job as as a software developer at a what would today be called a fintech startup. Okay. Back then it was called financial services software. Okay. Uh, right. Because fintech, I don't think, became a term until late 2000s. Yeah. De- depending on who came, who you decide came up with it. And that that leads to oh, a, I don't even, a different I would love date. to. Yeah. That's a fun. Combo. I just go with John Zanoff because he's the only one that's ever claimed it that could kick my ass. Oh. You know, like there's other people <laughs> or at least could try. I'll fight you, John. <laughs> but he's the only one that has ever claimed it that I'm like, hmm. You know, in a foot race, I'm not sure. Like he's the only one that you know scares me just enough. Just that I'll enough, give it to yeah, him. yeah. Fair enough. But there's a lot, a lot of people claim it. Really, I you know I've been yeah. So most of them are men. Most of them don't have much hair. But anyway, you know, know that sounds about right. <laughs> and so yeah, I went to this small company doing heat maps, data visualization, okay. heat maps. And our clients were like Bloomberg was using our software for okay. heat maps. I built the first web version of their product, which Nasdaq ended up using on Nasdaq's website for the Nasdaq 100. Oh, cool. For like. 12 years, it was the same code base. And I was only there for two years. And you were like, I remember I, l- I went on their website in like 2010. I'm like, yo, still <laughs> the same, like it was a Java applet. Like if you remember Java applets from yeah. back in the day. So I did that. And so I was there about like, you know, I wouldn't say well, about two years. And then I ended up moving over to, I got a job at a company called Gerson Lehrman Group, which you may be familiar with. Uh, biggest ex- expert network in the world. Our clients were, hedge funds and that kind of world. And that, you know, further exposed me kind of to the alternative uh, asset management industry, hedge yeah. funds and their, um, you know, LPs and stuff like that. And ever since NeoVision, which was that first company, um, I've mostly, almost entirely stayed in the fintech space, spent a lot of my career in the hedge fund alternative space. So after Gerson Lehrman Group, I left there. We went from like 40 people to 800 when I left in four Ooh, years. Okay. And then I started, you know, co-founded my next uh, startup in the institutional asset management space, serving hedge fund investors, family offices, LPs, uh, you know, endowments, foundations, pensions, yeah. et cetera. And then eventually hedge funds again as well. And But yeah, so like it was sheerly, hey, my first startup failed. You know, I took a software engineering job and it happened to be, you know, at a place that was applying it to finance and, and data. You know, I love data. I love data visualization. I did a bunch of that in college and uh, that's kind of how it came yeah. about. It was no, there's no, I, I didn't have a grand master plan. I have yeah. friends that have had grand master plans yeah. and they've done terrific having a grand master yeah. plan. So, hey, kids out there, maybe, I don't know, maybe have a grand master plan, I guess, <laughs> um, you know, and don't make it playing on the bulls. Yeah. Um, well, just be open to it changing too. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. that's the other well, thing. Well, yeah. And um, so that's how it came about. Yeah. So was there a time, I mean, in all of that, was there a time where you made it 
like, have you ever kind of made a choice to kind of stick down this road? Because, I mean, you have been in this industry, been in this world long enough that, you know, to your point, like before it was necessarily even called fintech in a way that would make me think that you have a passion for it. And I think that you, I know that you have a passion for what you do today, but when you describe some of those previous companies, I mean, you just like data visualization, like yeah. it's kind of fun, but you're, the person I know now is not a person that's getting out of bed every day without a passion inside them. So I'm wondering if that passion clicked earlier on, or if you've just like gotten to a point in your life where you're like, fuck it, let's just have some fun. And that's like why you show up this way in the world. It's an interesting thing to me of like why people pick this industry. Yeah. So I think I didn't pick it intentionally to start, as mm-hmm. I said, but right. the things I like about it, yeah, you know, one is the data side of it, right? Like that's and across the industry, right? And and fintech is a very broad term. I think it's that's one of the problems with the term, right? Like, again, I've spent most of my career in a very you know, narrow swath of fintech. Yeah. Uh, though, you know, interesting enough, I've worked on payment systems when I was at GLG, but mostly I've spent... You you mean, know, what do you mean? Fintech is everything? Fintech is everything, you know, <laughs> maybe even embedded in everything. Ooh, um, deep. Shout out Matt Harris on that one. Exactly. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I, I think there's there are things of the space of investing and, and finance and fintech that have appealed to me, that appeals to like, you know, things that I really love. And like, it is things like data and it is things like, you know, kind of connecting pieces. A lot of fintech is about putting pieces together and whether it is, you know, building portfolio intelligence systems for hedge funds or even, you know, we I had one of the best conversations today in a while with, you know, a couple of guys on my product team, you know, just talking about kind of our streams and, you know, servicing discussions and well, what's relevant to like, you know, if you're talking about Apple or, you know, Tesla's earnings came out today and, you know, things like that. And so I think, you know, connecting data to connecting to people in the world of retail, connecting to, okay, how do you solve different problems around that, like analysis and, and like being able to do cool things like visualizations and, you know, solve problems in different ways. I think those are all things that as an engineer probably appealed to me. And like you're dealing with real business, right? Like real money. And, you know, it's not inconsequential, I guess is the best way to put it. Definitely. No, that makes sense. It sounds like the the human aspect. I mean, you've always been a problem solver and you've always kind of been like driven towards that. But maybe like the human aspect has kind of shown itself in your career more recently as a result of stock twits and a result of having to yeah, interact I, with such a big group of humans. Yeah, I will say, I think one of the other elements that I am passionate about and that actually isn't as obvious throughout my career is is most obvious with stock twits, but you know, uh Gerson Lehrman Group is an expert network. And right. like, you know, I design like a lot of parts of our knowledge network systems yeah. and how do you find experts and connect experts. Um, but that is a it's a marketplace, yeah. it's Connecting a network. People. And I love like, even in college, like in, you know, different classes and stuff, I definitely did like network work and I found that really interesting, right? Like, you know, just how do pieces work together and interconnect and yeah. and so from GLG to then, you know, co-founded Novus, which was a plat, a multi, you know, sided marketplace again for, it started off as just being for, you know, the LP world and Diamonds Foundations. But then we actually were the, you know, probably main company that drove transparency into the hedge fund industry because we took our LP side of our thing and said, okay, we went out to all their hedge fund clients. And these weren't small entities like the state of Florida, the state of Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, you know, Adia, Adik, you know, Abu Dhabi pension funds and stuff. And no, we said, no. okay, if you want their check, you have to report your data to us. And most hedge funds fell online, right? And that was really hard to do, by the way, in 2008, 2009, 
you know, 2010 and God, for, and we were doing it in the cloud. So holy shit, what's this cloud thing? You're going to put my hedge fund data in the cloud? What was the forcing function <laughs> that made them do that? Was there like a policy or something? That, if, like, if you wanted the check from the state of Florida, state of Florida said you have to give your data to Novus. But why? Like, why, why did the state of Florida want right, that? Right, yeah. Why well, did because, they implement that? Why did so they mandate that? The, the thesis, like, you know, that the primary founder of Novus you know, he came from that LP world. And the thesis back then, this is 07, right? Mm -hmm. Pre-crash pre was the same way hedge fund investors do deep analytical research, quantitative analytical research on stocks yeah. or other securities. There should be a similar or analogous level of quantitative rigor applied to when an endowment makes an investment in Tiger Global's hedge fund or Bridgewater's hedge fund or, you know, umteen other hedge funds. Seems and, fair. And, but, the, you know, a lot of the hedge fund industry was very qualitative, was very subjective. The data was very limited. And yeah, you, you know, for those of you that can't see, uh, this, I'm giving, he's giving me a, a look. He's like, wait, look. what the fuck? The uh, hedge fund industry is qualitative? Uh, well, the way a lot of, you know, it's the soft them. storytelling, right? And it's, uh, because, hey, as a hedge fund manager, I can, you know, back in like 06, I might have come to you and said, hey, I'm a, I'm a healthcare specialist and, you know, I focus on, you know, the small cap, you know, uh, healthcare market or whatever. And, you know, and, and I believe, you know, I ran a hundred million. I want to, you know, you know, add another 500 million, you know, of AUM. Well, are you actually a hedge fund expert? Like, how does one answer that? Like, or, you know, no one like was, you know, there were some places, but it wasn't commonplace and systemic to say, okay, let's actually look at your portfolio and understand the alpha you're generating in the healthcare sector. Right. And take wow. that apart. That's why more importantly, Okay, you say you can, you know, take your AUM from let's say a hundred million to a billion. Well, when you increase your AUM as an asset manager, any kind of asset manager, yeah. hedge fund, mutual fund, yeah. ETF, whatever, you know, you have to deploy your capital to bigger and bigger companies. Cause if you're a hundred million, yeah. you can write a $10 million check into a five hundred million dollar company, and that's you know generally right. okay. If you are like, you know. Tiger Global or Viking or one of these guys that has a $30 billion hedge fund, yeah. your universe of stocks that you can invest in without like, you know, screwing your liquidity profile is super limited, yeah. right? And and if you generated all your returns in small caps, there's nothing that tells me that you are going to be skilled at mega caps. Right. You have to prove that, right? And yeah. like, so, but these are, this is the kind of analytical rigor that we were trying to bring to the for the LPs, because generally speaking, like, you know, I was always saying like, hey, this is like bringing a knife to a gunfight, right? And the hedge funds are the ones with the guns and LPs I would have been loved to be are the ones fund. with the knives, right? My yeah. God. And, and like, so, you know, the heyday of, was definitely in the 90s and into the 2000s. I mean, that explains, I mean, land. obviously, like, that's fascinating on so many levels. I mean, my brain goes to the Madoffs of the world. Yeah. So, I mean, like that happened on our watch and, like, you know, none of our clients got impacted by it, but like, that's the thing you would have, the numbers aren't the answer, but they help you ask the better questions. Right. Um, Very and, much I, so. and I think that's, yeah. that was, you know, one of the main things, I mean, it took us a lot. We had to educate the industry on why this is important. Right. So all these answers that's I'm giving you right wild, now, like, man. I mean, it took us three, four five years to really yeah. educate the industry. That's wild um, that that gap existed though, in such a, I mean, this is, I guess it goes back to this idea that like smart money maybe isn't all that smart always, but that is just absolutely fascinating to me that that gap existed and that you really could just sell a story to that degree. But then I guess if you go and you think about 
lot of venture capital today. It's just going and selling a fucking story for the most part. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we're still there, right? And like, yeah. and it's harder to do on illiquids. Like we do right. it on illiquids too, but uh, or yeah. no, it does it on other notable well. private companies recently that we could discuss that potentially <laughs> somebody should have been doing a little more auditing. Yeah, and yeah. you know, and, and funds and companies are very different things, sure, um, and whatnot. But like at the end of the day, it's like, hey, do you have the tools to ask good questions? Right. Whether it's a company whether it's a hedge fund, whether it's a venture capital fund. Yeah. And incentives matter too, right? Like, so if you look at how public pension fund employees are comped versus how hedge fund employees on the other side of the table are comped, very different things, right? And here you're just trying to keep your job because, you know, New York State, state of Florida, like all the salaries are public. Like, right. you know, you can yeah, see yeah, what yeah. these pension funds, guys that run $200 billion, right? Like you can see what they make and they make, Less than analysts at hedge funds, right? Like so. Wow, I've they're the ones never thought the about in. that. Yeah, there's only I think the only state I don't know how it's changed guess, recently, but like Missouri, so Canada has been really good. Like Ontario Teachers has had a better comp structure and about you know performance and stuff. I think the state of Missouri's pension fund back when I was you know my nose days, they actually had the right a better incentive structure. But like most of the others, it's like you know, oh my God, how are you? How why are you going to pay pension? You know, yeah. guys running two hundred billion dollar pension fund, you know, more than you know, one hundred fifty thousand dollars or something. That is absolutely it's more wild. Than that, but not, not I mean, I would imagine not by much. Yeah. I mean, yeah. less than the president makes, and if yes, they're definitely. still, if you're running that big of a fund and you make what the president makes, you're still underpaid, right? Like that's why I mean, you, no matter what, like you go be yeah. If you get, right? I mean, you could go yeah. just about anywhere and make so incentives times. matter right? across the board, across the board bonkers we never thought about that yeah wild okay We're, let's get back to <laughs> we'll the get other. back to yeah, yeah, yeah we'll get back to the other but that i mean that explains and it, it but it also like beckons on so many things that i feel like we're going through right now i mean to your point yeah funds are very different than companies but how do we get our heads wrapped around private companies how do we get our heads wrapped around private companies yeah. that are functioning across different geographies that are disparate and you know here and there and everywhere yeah. and it's a lot of questions. No, and like, again, you go back to simple incentives and private companies were super incentivized, especially the founders that were able to take secondaries and stuff like that. Super incentivized to just show ripping top line growth. Yeah. No regard for unit economics or anything else. Right. And you do that and then you get, you know, the tiger check or the soft bank check. And then you know what? There's secondary on the table for you, even at like an A or a B, which is kind of crazy, you know, from an incentives. Like I get it on one hand. Oh yeah, yeah, but yeah, like there's yeah. there's a degree to it, right? Like you get where you get. Um, yeah, you and you show know, me in the incentive. I'll show you asset, the outcome, right? And asset managers, like, hey, they're incentivized to raise more and more, like to get the fees. And listen, two percent on a twenty billion dollar fund is pretty. Well, if you're you an asset have, manager in Florida, it's one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on your own private fund yeah, yeah, that yeah, you're, you're a GP on, public, on. Yeah, it's yeah, slightly yeah. different. Yeah. Yeah, 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 public pensions slightly different. Yeah. I interrupt this deeply informative conversation for a word from our friends and this season's sponsor, NeuroID, or a word from me on their behalf. So what is NeuroID? Think about NeuroID basically as bringing body language into the digital world. Someone fidgeting in their chair is like someone taking too long to fill out their social security number, or maybe they're switching tabs like crazy. The digital world has tells the same way the real world does, and NeuroID is that person at the casino watching the monitors, making sure no nefarious business is going down. Blocking bad actors, fraud rings, and fighting financial crime is only one side of this double-sided coin. Clearly, 
it's fiat. <laughs> Bitcoin doesn't have two sides. See what I did there? All right, we're bringing some levity, folks. Folks, I can't talk, but the levity's there. The other side of the coin is decreasing false flags and increasing pull through in general. If you can dodge a wrench, then you can dodge a ball. If you can fight fraud, then you can increase pull through during the IDV process. That's what I've always said. Learn more at neuroid.com. Let's go to stock twits. So tell me the stock twits story. Tell me the founding story and yeah. tell me up to like, just catch us up on what it is, why it is and how it came together. Yeah. So I mean, stock twits has been around for about 14 years now. It was founded in late 08, 09. Yeah. A couple of co-founders, one of them being Howard Linson, who's a uh, you know, well-known VC and uh, of note. You know, <laughs> of note. Um, <laughs> and now, you know, his, his full-time job is social leverage, his venture fund uh, with a couple of his partners. I thought you were going to say social media. You know, it's just tweets. You know, just kind tweets. of, uh, <laughs> you know, no, uh, uh, I mean, that's the social angle. Like, you know, he's, he's very good at that, right? And he's, there's a lot of value to it if you do it right and you kind of curtail it. No, he's, he's great at it. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's great at it. And so they started, right? They invented the cash tag in 09, I believe. And I, you know, I think as Howard tells, has told the story, I think he was tweeting it out to Fred Wilson and it might have been like Blackberry might have been the first ticker that was the first cash tag. Really? Okay. Right. So Stocktwits invented the cash tag. And over the course of much of its history, it's been this platform that's organically grown as a essentially a verticalized Twitter. It was originally built on top of Twitter in the first couple of years. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah. So first couple of years, it was just a layer on top of Twitter. And then they moved off in 2010, luckily before the the Ryan Sarber memo of 2012 that destroyed, not to mention um, the past few past year would have been a fucking yeah, interesting one. Man, that's a whole separate episode. I'm like, I just wish I could sit down and have a therapy and like be like, you know, yeah. that's just what you got to do, dog. Um, <laughs> Stocktwits um, is going to become a payments company. Oh, <laughs> what? Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it started off that and, you know, just organically over the course of 10 years, it, it's, you know, kind of just grew on itself as this you know, kind of verticalized Twitter. And, you know, FinTwit really came out of StockTwits, like, as I see it, like, you know, and again, I wasn't like a heavy user back then. I, I joined, I think, back in 2010, 2011, but I wasn't like a heavy user. And I, I actually wasn't allowed to trade for about 15 years of my career, like, just because of right. the work I did, as we just talked about. So were you still following the market at that point? I like, was. you've always been interested? Yeah, I follow it, but like more at the... More at the macro level than sure. at the like names level. I mean, there's I'm passionate about companies and especially tech companies yeah. and certain other companies. So, so I always followed it at that level. And so, you know, Stockwitz just kind of organically grew. I, you know, I met Howard. We became just through one of his LPs, who was a former colleague of mine. We became friends in like 2010, 2011. Okay. They used to have something called Stocktoberfests um, or Linz and Paloozas. And Stockwitz was actually founded in San Diego. <laughs> Yeah, and well, they were they were great. I mean, they were great like social outings. It was on at in Coronado at the Hotel Dell. Yeah, that's know, hilarious. Bring together people, mostly like you know Howard's network of fin fintech yeah. fintwit folks. And so I started going. I got invited to those. Started going, and so you know knew the the old Stocktwits team and you know kind of company and stuff. But you know never wasn't like a thing where I was always like, oh shit, you guys got to do this or that yeah. or that. Um, you know, just in the periphery kind of thing. I was doing my own startup and company yeah. and whatnot, yeah. uh, dealing with all that. You know, Stocktwits did that one thing and it, you know, just kind of, that was its main focus. I mean, you know, they try, there was other things tried here or there on the periphery, but at the end of the day, the focus was conversations and connections to, you know, come up with ideas to learn about trading and investing and to ultimately, you know, have fun and profit by finding your tribes 
along your investing style, whether you're a short-term, you know, momentum swing mm -hmm. trader or something, or whether you're a long-term buy and hold, you know, fundamental value investor, uh, which sucked for the last 10 years, right? But uh, Yeah, but you just keep doing it. You do you it. Just keep you doing do it. it right? Don't open uh, the statements. You um, just keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> you don't open the statements. You just keep doing it. You, you know, and, and, and listen, your holding period matters, right? Like, yeah. you know, uh, just rebalance quarterly, just rebalance and, and just um, rebalance. And <laughs> so, so that, you know, is like kind of what StockTwits, you know, it, it grew and grew. And then, you know, for me, I joined StockTwits in January 2020. It's a pretty quiet year, 2020. Right. And, you know, for me, you know, what kind of what was the original reason for joining is like there was a lot of ambition to kind of expand in some interesting new areas and build that company, right? You know, brokerage was one of them at the time. That being said, when I took over, there was some shit that hit the proverbial fan, as they say. It turns out, like, uh, right as you took over. Literally right as I took over. And, you know, on top of that, again, StockTwits was, you know, great product, found its product market fit. And social, you know, what I will say about social, social is really hard. Yeah. Right. And we've seen just using the last two years, right? Like with the rise of retail investing, everyone's like, oh, we're going to do social this, social that. You know, most of them are gone. Or like I still, you know, I get calls from CEOs or investors, hey, we're looking for a soft landing, da da da. Because social is really hard to do authentically, you know, without just, you know, kind of buying out influencers or whatever. Right. And so StockTwits was, you know, they found the lightning in the bottle. They nurtured that, you know, from the early days. And, and so we have the position we do in the world of yeah. financial, social, like FinTwit social kind of world, right? You know, that is very hard. And, and, you know, we gotta, we have a lot of work to do to keep, you know, kind of growing it and maintaining it, especially as you get bigger, it actually gets harder, right? Like, cause now all the same problems that, you know, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all these guys have, we have similar, like pretty much the same problems, not at the same scale, but once you cross a certain level of scale, it's the same problem. And we don't have, you know, the resources that a Facebook has or that a Twitter has, you know, we're double digit employee count, right? So, yeah. uh, you know, they your moderator made, group isn't quite as large. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, when I took over, it was one person. Really? So when I took over, we had one person doing like kind of all the support and moderation. Today, we're up to about 10 ish, but still like, you know, that's nothing yeah. um, on a relative basis. And it's hard and it's resource intensive and stuff. But for me, you know, aside from the challenges of, of COVID and some of the other structural challenges based on like stock to its history, to me, the opportunity was, okay, well, we have this amazing community. How do we deliver more value to them? How do we deliver more value in the context of community and social? But how do we deliver more value to them in the context of the investing life cycle and their investing journey and their investing identity, right? Um, and that to me was that next opportunity. And that's where, you know, when I think about the investing life cycle, I simplify it dramatically just for the sake of conversation and whatnot, but it's, you know, ideation, research, execution, portfolio management, mm -hmm. ideation, research, execution, super generic, simple, applies to all asset classes, generally speaking. Yeah. You hope people go through all, many people go ideation to execution and just back and forth. Or you know, heard about it, execution. Right. Which is, yeah. you know, that that's where their, their ideation version comes of ideation. from, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah fair exactly. Enough. Right. Yeah. You know, they skip the research part. They skip the portfolio management part. And so, you know, how can we help and like build, you know, kind of leveraging community and social as our core, but how can we build on this amazing, engaged, highly engaged community that we have that is unique to us? And give the tools, you know, along that journey. Doesn't mean we have to be the only tool or it's, yeah. you know, I don't believe it's a winner take all market, right? I don't think brokerage is a winner take all market. And, you know, we don't have to beat Robinhood to win in the brokerage business, right? We just have to deliver value and we have to, you know, get to a certain level of scale to have it be a good, healthy, profitable business. 
but that doesn't mean we have to have like 25 million, you know, um, you know, accounts. Hey, that'd be great. I'm not saying we don't yeah. want that, but like, yeah. that's not, that's not the attitude we go in. We go in with, Hey, we want to deliver value. We want to help, you know, nurture the community and the different tribes. And, you know, and hopefully, you know, we'll get a lot of things wrong along the way and hopefully we can fix them and hopefully we can, you know, get a bunch yeah. of things right too. Right. I mean, it sounds like the, everything you just said about brokerage, I would say is also true for social, right? Like uh, a lot of the conversations that are going to happen on stock twits are also probably happening in some subreddit somewhere to some degree or happening. (laughs) We're joking about 4chan before, probably not happening on 4chan, (laughs) Um, but, you know, happening in these different places or they're happening in some subgroup in a bunch of moms on Facebook having a conversation or it happens elsewhere. Right. But it's, it's a very specific meeting place that exists for a reason yeah so it it differentiates and i would think that bringing those two things together of the the finance side and the social side would be truly a differentiator so that everybody listening can kind of get a, a level set yeah if i get on stock twits right now what can i do right i can set yeah. up an account i can talk to people but what can i do beyond that or talk to people learn read right so you know, you interact know- we organize a little differently. Like, so, I mean, you know, the conversations will look familiar because it is, you know, short form Twitter-esque like, right? But but the difference is when you join StockTwits, you can follow other users, right? And, and you know, we have, we want to improve how we recommend and share users so you can find people that would be interesting to you. But what we also do is we organize things by ticker or symbol, right? So you want to see the conversation on Apple, you can just follow Apple or follow Tesla. Like, you know, there's, I'm sure a raging conversation. Plenty of conversations happening about that right now. Out, right? And uh, so, you know, you can follow things by either the investments and companies you're interested in or people, right? So that's first, just that organizing principle is different. Secondly, we enrich, you know, the kind of conversation with, you know, we provide you with like more data about the company and all the, you know, the commoditized financial data is there and we're going to add even more and more. Then we're going to work on making it social and whatnot. So kind of from that, connecting and conversation perspective you can learn about companies and see what people are talking about or you can connect to people that you know maybe hey i want to follow you know some guys are really good macro posters right i follow a couple guys that have like great macro analysis and stuff but if you're a you know i'm not a momentum swing trader but if you are there's plenty of people on the platform so you can kind of follow them and see you know what are they looking at what are the setups you know what are the charts and things of that nature so that's on the kind of community social side mm-hmm. and and in addition to that we have you know kind of rooms and premium rooms where you can follow kind of influencers, creators, people with Mm -hmm. followings for whatever reason, right? But these are, in our case, we don't have a lot of them because we do kind of, we don't just, it's not an open thing where anyone can do it. But yeah, these are people with some form of expertise or, you know, knowledge. Um, That would be hard to vet, uh, I would imagine. Like deciding on who not to. You know, we don't vet for, we can't vet for like, hey, this person's a good investor. It sounds like you shouldn't even. That would, would, like Like, legally you. Exactly, right? And, but like you can bet like, hey, is this a real person? Are they going to just like, you know, the discord crap that happens these days, like people open a discord, they charge for a year and then they disappear. Right. You know, or like, I guess that's the NFT world too, but just follow Jordan Belfort around. Right. Yeah. So, so, you know, we have that, but then, you know, we also launched, you know, this year our brokerage right in Stockwood. So now you can open a brokerage account today. We're equities only, but you know, we're, we're adding other asset classes this year. So, and we're going to, you know, we're introducing some interesting social things that I can't quite talk about right now, but, you know, but again, that's kind of the thing that, you know, we talk about as a team is, all right, like a lot of this stuff in investing is a commodity, right? Like a brokerage is a commodity. It is highly regulated. Like it's not like you can invent a new way to buy a stock, right? right? Like I don't get to like invent a new way. Yeah, I can't make up market caps, right? Yeah. Like this is explicit data. Uh, which is for the best. 
yeah. for the best, right? So, <laughs> you know, so I think, you know, for us, like, how do we inject it with community and social and like add value in different ways? And so we think about that. So you can open a brokerage account and trade there and there'll be a lot of interesting things come. And, you know, we have unique data now. That's the next area we're moving into is like, you know, kind of data and tools. So we recently actually just launched our sentiment data, relaunched oh, sentiment cool. data. So, you know, like a rigorous sentiment data that will more formally announce in the coming weeks. But you can go on and see what is the sentiment on, you know, Tesla right now? And what is the message kind of score and activity? Mm -hmm. So you can get a sense of what does the community think? What does the stock to its community think? And what is the activity and level of engagement on something, right? So like, it's a sentiment tool that's pulling specifically from StockTwits or does it layer on like... Specifically from StockTwits. Like, so fascinating. Is, yeah, okay. so we partner with a third party that has like, you know, deep sentiment expertise yeah. and patents and stuff. And so, you know, and all, you know, we'll, we'll share their papers and patents because it's all sure. public anyways. But yeah, but it's strictly from StockTwits data. Um, they, they also do it with Twitter as well. But, you know, from what they've told, like, I've seen the data comparing the two and like, there's actually a lot more ideation and signal and stock to it's probably because it's verticalized you know and, and focused on it than there is in twitter like when you track cash tags so, yeah um, well and just like the anger machine that is twitter like i think the time that i've spent on stock twits has not been an anger machine it's i mean there's whatever. yeah there's definitely there's, i mean you know depending on the day yeah, yeah, yeah totally <laughs> and i mean it's money so people are yeah. reacting emotionally across the board but it's not like it, it just feels like even if they're angry it's a little bit more thought through anger like it just yeah. feels like the IQ points are at least ten higher on average or something. I don't know. There's something. There's feels different. Yeah, it's, there's a structured anger or, or yeah. structured, you know, euphoria. Like you know, yeah, I mean, structured euphoria um, too. You know, like the bullish bearish thing. Like the debates back and forth are definitely. Oftentimes they start off like really interesting, whatever. And yeah. Sometimes they get going. Like yeah. Social media, social media. Humans yeah. are humans. Uh, well, having Howard as one of your founders, I wouldn't think that there would be any desire for the humans not to be the humans, right? I mean, right. at, at the yeah. end of the day, like you, I mean, the thing that I, you know, with my rigorous notes that I'm taking over here, uh, <laughs> Rishi's watched me scrub, scribble like three things. One of them is brand personality. As you were talking, I was just thinking about like how much, I mean, so many of the things that you're talking about and so many of the things that you all do, to your point, are a commodity. When you bring them together, there's an interesting moat yeah. that's created. There's an interesting, right. like, sum is greater than its parts kind of a thing that yeah. happens there. But it's not a thing that you could put together. You could put all of those things together without emotion and without love and without hate and without yeah. all of the other things that go into the stock market and money and, like, Howard is and who you are and like who the who the people are that brought this thing together yeah. and like funny people like there's, there's yeah. a lot of jokes associated like this is no, a, we have a very specific brand and voice yeah and yeah. I, it's a, I'm, I'm wondering I guess one how much of a focus is that to like how much culturally do you talk about it like how do you maintain it yeah so what I will say is I think about it and we definitely think about it and um, you know it reflects in two dimensions. One, it reflects kind of in our content, our community, our moderation, right? Like, you know, we have a reasonable size, you know, kind of profile following on Twitter, but yeah. like, you know, obviously our stock was following, of course, but, you know, even on Instagram and, and then we have our newsletter, which is a million subscribers and like, you know, 40% open rate. And like, so there we're kind of very conscious, especially as we're hiring and bringing on whether it's writers or social media people yeah. and stuff, you know, we want to make sure people understand kind of the brand and voice from that perspective. I think, from the product side, which is very important, you know, it is important in the hiring and who we hire and how we kind of onboard and, you know, bring them in, you know, kind of into the community and culture. But I don't think we talk about it as explicitly from a 
product perspective, like mm. in a very technical, like, hey, we got to do this feature this way because our users are going to expect this kind of, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like, that's not how it is. Like, we really do focus mostly, like, I, you know, I was saying earlier, I had a great, you know, we had a great hour and a half session. It was meant to be 45 minutes, ended up being an hour and a half, you know, kind of talking about a specific kind of feature on streams, like how do we simplify? How do we do some things, you know, better for our users? Yeah. But we, we always talk about it, like, how do we do it better for our users? And once you've been at Stockton Long Enough, you know what that means. It's kind of inherent in kind of the way we build, what yeah. we build, you know, the approach we take. But um, but it's not like hammering you over the head prescriptive in the org. Yeah. Right? Because like, I do think, you know, voice has to be somewhat natural, especially in social and in community, right? You can't, you can't sound, you know. Well, as soon so, as your brand voice is taken on by everyone in the organization, you've lost your brand voice yeah. somehow. You know, like when the brand voice comes from an individual that gets uh, like taken out to everyone, there's something there. But then as you continue to grow, yeah. it just becomes a corporate speak. And, you, you know, know, it is like, it is a challenge to maintain because, you know, a lot of people talk about hey, an individual like in social media, right? Like it's better to have like an individual voice, which, you know, makes sense. And that's what we're saying right now. Yeah. But like as you scale, as you get bigger and bigger, how do you maintain that? That doesn't mean you have to go full corporate speak and everything has to be approved by legal right. and stuff like right. that. That's not what I'm saying. Right. But like, you know, at some point scale and like, hey, people move jobs, change jobs, and, yeah. you know, want to get promoted and have a different role, right? Like, so, you know, how you kind of think about that, like I, I think about that a bunch, but I'm like, that's just a hard problem. Like it's, yeah. you know, just like kind of, you know, that's why it has to kind of, you know, be in the company and be in the hiring and, yeah. you know, finding the right people. And by the way, we've, We've made mistakes along the way, even no. in, in my, I mean, I know, like, you know, I tend Stop to have, uh, you know, a hundred percent batting average, but, uh, <laughs> right. But like, you know, and so you just, hopefully you can identify it soon enough and course correct quickly enough. You know, it's probably something I can get a little bit better at. Like I, well, I'm sure there's things about how you carry yourself as a leader or like, uh, you know, I, I don't spend enough time around you to know like your broken record, like Rishiisms or anything. But I would imagine that the way you carry yourself slash just the way you are around the team and speaking with the team, you know, continues to drive that home. And if you don't agree with me, that's okay, because I think you're wonderful, Rishi, and it doesn't matter if you do. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I'm like, I'm probably the wrong, you probably, you know, the team's probably the right people to ask. Uh, <laughs> you're going to say something uh, like that. Yeah. You know, like, I'm like, I try to be, you know, pretty straightforward. And uh, well, I mean, I guess more what I was saying is like, you're fun. Like there's just a certain amount of that. Yeah, Thank dude. You. It's very, I mean, <laughs> it was one of the, I think, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think Bevel was the one that got us on the phone the first time just to talk about money 2020, or I can't remember if it was for FinTech sake. No, yeah, it was definitely money. Yeah, it was money it. I think it was money yeah, 2020 yeah. at first. And when I met you, I mean, I knew that you were, I don't know Howard like personally or anything, but I mean, it's just kind of one of those people that you're like, it's probably fun. And then I knew you guys were close, obviously. And then the StockTwits connection made it. So I'd like seen you guys something on Twitter. I don't know. And then I knew that you were friends somehow second degree connected or something from Rob from Rally. And like the, there was something like there. And I was like, I oh, he's just through Howard, actually. Yeah. OK, so I figured. And then just as a result of like that triangulation, I was like, OK, I bet I'll probably like him. Yeah. And then I hopped on the phone with you and I was like, this is a fun motherfucker. Yeah. Like, it's rare that I, I get I to the have same that thing moment. Too. I'm like, oh, all right. Like, you know, because I was like, oh, this is like the guy that runs the event. Like, da, da, da. like what's this going to be like? I was like, oh, this is very stuck up. Motherfucker. Yeah. That, guy, <laughs> that guy sucks. Exactly. Can't take them anywhere except the Super Bowl. Anyway, wow. Wow. Uh, 
<laughs> no, but when, when I got on with you, I was just like, oh, this guy is a good time. And I bet his employees and I bet like the employee, not his employees, but the employees of Stocktwits have a good fucking time for the most part. Like it's a job, whatever. But I bet they like probably enjoy it. This seems like a good vibe. So I would think just that alone probably makes a big difference. And you don't have to answer because I know yeah. I'm making you uncomfortable. But I think it's no, a thing. I will say like th- there is a balance <laughs> because like, you know, I'm also very much able to compartmentalize. Right. So. There are times when you have to have. Oh, like, so you're like, just a dick when. No, I mean, as, like, I'm not. I'm like, kidding. you have to, like, you have to have be able to have, like, you know. Oh yeah. Y- you can't be fun, Bobby, right, the whole time, right? Like, <laughs> for those of you old enough to remember the reference, you know, as as a CEO, I have a responsibility, and like, you know, there are, you know, sometimes that is having not fun conversations and you know driving things through, right? You still gotta have accountability and stuff, and you know, as long as people understand, like it's not like work is work. Like, let's focus on that. Let's do a great job. Let's yeah. aspi- aspire to that. And then at the same time, like, let's have, like, it shouldn't be not fun. Like yeah. it should be fun. And like, you know, you should be able to have fun conversations and, you know, we're doing our offsite is coming up in February. We're taking, everyone's meeting up in Jamaica. So like, oh, I yeah. hope that'll be fun. Yeah. If that's not fun, then I don't yeah, know. You're fucking, then then you're we're done. You got nothing at that <laughs> I'm point. calling it. Yeah. Good luck from there. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Okay. So a, a couple, a couple of things. I know you got to jump to a dinner here. What time, what time's your dinner? Dinner's at six. It's you know. Okay. One one more question because I'm like just truly truly curious, and then I'll let you go. Could stock twits ever work with crypto slash tokens? You call it we call it take it whatever direction you want to go. Not tokens, I guess necessarily, but with crypto, right? So if you tried to do like a social version of Coinbase, like could that ever work, or is that world just? So there's layers to that. There's I mean, layers, so we, depth, we right? you know, we did, this is ha- we what did I have had... crypto trading in our platform. Oh, really? This is kind of what I asked you to debate about in uh, Vegas, which I also haven't asked you personally how that went. So I want to hear about uh, that too. But <laughs> No, no. So we we did have crypto trading. Actually, we had crypto trading in our platform before equities. Oh, um, okay. We, ha- we partnered with this little known company called FTX. <laughs> so that didn't go as planned. Um, <laughs> But, you know, we avoided any major issues there because we, we hadn't promoted heavily because we were waiting to bring in equities. Oh, so wow. we didn't have a big exposure and we're making That's our wild. users whole and stuff. So like, it's not going to be. A, I shouldn't laugh, but that's just like based uh, on our previous conversation and everything yeah. else. That's just fucking hilarious <laughs> so, and wild. And I did not realize. Yeah. So yeah. there's that. And we'll bring crypto back. It's just a matter of, you know, the reality is, is it's not a big opportunity from a yeah. business model perspective right now. Um, we want it for completeness. And, you know, there's a lot of people, but we still get emails every day. Hey, when are you bringing crypto trading back? When are you bringing crypto trading back? I meant less so um, the trading piece, more so just the, the conversational social. social piece. So we we brought trading in because the conversation on stock was like, we introduced crypto, I want to say back in like 16 or 17. Okay. And like, you know, that is, it is very active. And on the weekends, it's still mostly crypto conversation ends up trending because and it's like you know the long tail of coins and stuff. So we have a lot of coins I, I on there. I spent some time on stock twits, and I've just spent apparently yeah, all my time in like equities. Bitcoin, like just follow BTC, yeah. right? All crypto, you know, has a dot X, right? So the uh, the ticker is whatever you know ETH dot X, ADA dot X, right? Okay. So and we actually have NFTs on there too. So dot NFT is the you know the extension for all NFTs on there. Now that's a little quieter, and we haven't brought in data for that yet. But no, so I do think on the social front, there's a lot for us to still do. We don't have nearly the rich amount of data as we do for equities. No, yeah. there's also just not that as much data, you know, on crypto. Yeah, on an analogous basis. But yeah, we have it in there. 
we will enhance it further this year with data. We'll bring trading back. It's just a matter of, you know, yeah, it's it a much larger thing. Yeah. yeah, like, I mean, the reality yeah. is, you know, volumes yeah. are massively down. But yeah. um, is it more confrontational? Is it like, I, I feel like people having a conversation about the future earnings of GE or uh, even of Meta or fucking SpaceX or Tesla yeah. at this point is less emotionally charged and confrontational than the conversation around crypto. So that that's that's kind of I think my biggest curiosity. Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot more passion, right? Like, and I'm I'm always intrigued by there's like real like traders on there talking about like the long tail of coins. Like, I won't, I mean, shit coins, whatever, right? Like, yeah, no, I mean, um, this is what and I call there is like still a large portion of folks that are you know, the to the moon kind of crew and stuff, right? Where they're like, wow. oh, we're being held back on this yeah. or that. Or, you know, Elon is now, you know, running Twitter and like, when's Doge or, you know, going to be integrated <laughs> as a payment system or whatever. Like, so there's still a lot of that. Um, it is it is definitely, you know, a more passionate crowd. I, you know, I don't, this is all anecdotal just from my yeah. experiences. Yeah, yeah. I would probably say like companies present, at least today, a better opportunity to be, confrontational, meaning like you can discuss the merits of Tesla's earnings today, mm -hmm. right? Like there's, you know, versus- well, You can discuss the merits based on something. On, on something, right? right? There's something uh, there's more than thing just to the judge price based action. On. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, with a lot of tokens and coins, there's not much more like, okay, with like, you know, Bitcoin, like you can have, a, is it a store of value? Like, you know, whatever, but like that's, <laughs> that's about it. Like Ethereum, you can talk yeah. about Ethereum and Solana and Cardano, like all these L1s. So there's, you know, okay, hey, you know, there's conversation we had there, but, for, you know, I find it to be a lot more about the just sheer passion around, you know, kind of crypto and the tokens yeah. and coins. That, that's been my experience. Like, you know, at some point, you know, we're hiring for a data science person to come in and start like kind of going through all this and helping us, you know, kind of. Yeah understand this a little better. Yeah, I bet but, that'd be a um, data scientist dream. That sounds like a fun fucking job, actually. I mean, for the right person, I would hate yeah, it, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, for the right person, that sounds like a great opportunity. I think so, I think so. yeah. But yeah, so, I mean, check it out though. Yeah, you know, I mean, Bitcoin, Ethereum, all these. I'm going to have to, I'm going to, I'm going to go down the rabbit hole now. I've been, I'd gone down the rabbit hole, I thought, but apparently I'd been going. And we have sentiment on crypto too. I've been, so like, I'd gone down the TradFi rabbit hole, which I don't know what that says about me. Yeah. Okay. So you're hiring for a data scientist. I usually like to just like finish up on, you know, what can the community, what can the, for fintech sake you know yeah these these people that listen that are still listening to this point we don't know why you are but here you are what can they do to help you guessing you're hiring guessing there's things that stock twits would like the world to know yeah stuff i mean like that. We're, we're definitely hiring a little i mean I, i'd say you know i'd say give it a if you haven't checked out stock twits you know come on give it a try like explore we have to do a better job of helping you explore but there's a lot of gems in there and when you start thinking about kind of the ways to use social and the ways to engage with communities around investing. Share that with us, but participate. You know, you probably have a lot of listeners in the in the private market space. We actually have introduced private tickers. We haven't publicized it yet, but like, oh. you know, .ps are private companies. So like Stripe.p, like there's actually a stream there. I don't, you know, I don't know that we've promoted so if anyone's on it. But you know, if you guys have ideas out there, you want to, you know, how to, how to have conversations around private companies and, you know, other assets. Like, I think that's really interesting. And you know, open an account with us and, and, you know, definitely a lot of really exciting things coming this, you know, this year and especially Q1, Q2 content data. I love stuff. it. I love it. What was, the, what's the first cash tag you'd follow? 
you know, spy like spy and QQQ are like the general oh, conversation so place. Kid, like that, those that's just so. No, I'm saying like for. Uh, I thought you meant like, hey, what do I recommend? Like, because those are super active conversations. Um, oh, really? Oh my god! Like th- that's where like right now, like you go to it right now. It's just it's just like you can't even keep up. Like except for like the GameStop days or like AMC. Yeah. AMC was the number one ticker last year again, two years running. But yeah, I mean, like Spy and QQ, a lot of good conversation goes on there. But yeah, I mean, like, am for I thinking me, of correctly? Spy the index fund? Yeah. So there's just like a lot of macro conversations. It's a lot of macro conversations. Okay. Yeah, market okay. commentary okay. and stuff. I was going to say, am I like no the it? funds? Like I mean, that makes I mean, sense. That makes sense. Like you know, I follow. It's a little bit like, of a cop out answer, but it's a good answer. I'll I, give it to you. I like for me, per, it's not like, investment advice, Rishi. No, just the most entertaining one. Yeah. Just the most entertaining one. That's all we want. Entertain. What's an entertain? I mean, listen. Tesla's Tesla's up there. All right, all right. Go like, fo- pick your index fund and go follow Tesla. If people. you want, if you want to see the fun, like that's where the fun is. <laughs> that's what, so what we want, baby. I mean, that's what we want. Tesla's a show. <laughs> all right, Rishi. Thank you, my friend. We will we will do this again. Thank you, man. Appreciate it for sure, brother. For sure, right. you'll go go have a good dinner. <laughs> Thanks for joining the conversation, everybody. Hope you enjoyed our time with Rishi. Jump into those show notes for more info on Rishi and StockTwits. And of course, don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and all the other things I'm supposed to remind you to do in your favorite podcast app. And if you want our weekly emails, go to forfintechsake.com and subscribe there. That's right. They're actually weekly again. Until next time, stay healthy, keep your head high, and I love you all. <laughs>